just so we could be with you in heaven. We are so grateful that we are in this place with our fellow believers who want to know and serve that resurrected King. Father, as we gather this day, many of us come from different places. Many of us come from a hurting home. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are wondering, where is our God? Some of us just this day want to know more about Jesus. But in everything, God... We are celebrating a resurrected king. We ask that you speak boldly through our pastor. May his words be cutting through to our hearts. May our hearts be open to receive your message this day. If there's anybody in this place who does not know you or at home watching with us, God, may they not forget him, not leave this day, not leave this place, or contact us to let us know that today Jesus reached out and I accepted him as Lord and Savior. Father, take this day, make it one to glorify you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, while you're doing that, 
I, I want to make an introduction that we've been honestly been a little remiss in making since you've probably seen this individual around for the last month or so. And so I'm going to ask Sherry Rothenberg to come on forward and actually Jeff, oh hi, you're already here. Jeff, why don't you come up here as well. This is Sherry. And Sherry is an answer to some prayers that we have had as a staff as we recognize with the, the reopening after COVID uh, that probably the area that has been most impacted is those families with kids, that with young kids in particular. I don't know about you, but I've got two boys at home. This season has been remarkably difficult. And one of the hardest parts for me is even as we started coming back, there really wasn't anything for our kids across the street. And so my wife and our kids were still watching from home, and we had a lot of families that were saying the same thing. And God has brought Sherry to us. She has over a decade of ministry experience with children's ministry particularly. And as we begin to navigate this new season of life, uh, post-COVID, as we begin to wrestle with things like, what is VBS going to look like post-COVID? How are we going to care for our preschool families who are themselves overwhelmed? How can we be a church that kind of enters into relationship with them even better? We've already in the last month seen God using you and leaving your fingerprints on that. And so we just didn't, we didn't want to take another weekend and miss introducing you to Sherry, since many of you are already entrusting the most important gift that God has entrusted to you to her for an hour or so across the street. And so I, Jeff and I would love to just take a moment and pray over you. Um, if you would extend a hand, we're going to pray over Sherry. Father God, I am so grateful for her and for Ben and their son and their daughter that you have brought them here. I'm grateful for the journey you've had them on and for the ways that you have prepared her for this role. God, we lift up our kids, the most important, valuable asset that you've entrusted to us, and we just offer them back and say, would you give us discernment to know how best to invest in them and in our families as we are raising the next generation of Christ followers? Pray that you would give her, uh, surround her with others that would help carry the weight she cannot lead these children on her own. And, and I pray, Father, for those of us who are, are parents with kids in our home, I pray a special infilling because at the end of the day, it's not Sherry's job to train them up in the way they should go. It is our job as parents. She just gets to be a partner with us in that. And I pray that you would remind us and, and breathe new life into our hearts as well. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. And, and while we're talking about children's ministry one of the things post-COVID is that we are also rebuilding our, our volunteer base. And so there are, are some of you who are sitting in here today going, hey, I, this is my home church. I want to be invested. I just don't know how. May I humbly suggest having a conversation with Sherry about how you can help out with children's ministry because I will tell you, there is no greater investment. And one of the biggest detractions, impediments for people in the past was, well, if I'm over across the street, I won't be able to in, in, engage in worship. And that's no longer the case with our, our live stream. You can engage in that at any point. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider giving one or two weekends a month to invest in those kids, because I can promise you, you're going to get a lot more. You're going to grow a lot more over there than you will listening to me. I'm just saying, all right? I can say that. Uh, anyway, so thank you thank so you. much. We're really glad that you're here. 
tell you what, there is no greater way to grow than kind of being thrown into the deep end and trusting the Holy Spirit to help keep you up, right? Uh, we are diving back into the Gospel of John. It's where we've been spending this whole year slowly working our way through it. So I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6. If you're just joining us online or you're new here, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor. I'm really glad that you're here. And I got to tell you, I just want to warn you. I've, I've, I, I don't like to avoid tough conversations. This is, might be perhaps the single most offensive message I have ever written. And I say offensive because it's going to kind of uh, hit all of us, I think, in some way or another. I hope it will. I just want to warn you up front, please stay with me because I think this is a message that we all need to hear. We are in John chapter 6. Just a little reminder of where we've come from. Last week, I left us with a question. And that question was, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he, as some say, just a really wise teacher? He, he made some great statements that are wonderful to post on social media. Is he just a really good example of a good person that we need to emulate? But that's about it. Or is there something more to him than just a, a natural-born human being? And as much as some of us would like to perhaps kind of keep him consolidated to that smaller position of a good human being that lived a good life and, and, and taught really well and is a good person to emulate with our lives, as we talked about last week, he simply doesn't leave us with that option. Because he made some pretty audacious claims about himself, things like, I am the son of God. Uh, he claimed a divine right. He claimed to be divine himself, and he claimed a divine right to do what the Father was doing. Things like forgiving people's sins. And, and the audacity of that was so great that the Jewish leaders of the time wanted to, to snuff him out because they had determined in their hearts, no, he was not possibly that. There was no way that there was divinity in this man. And so we need to kill him and silence him because he's a blasphemer. But we need to answer that same question. Who is Jesus to you? Because of the claims that Jesus made about himself, he really only leaves us with three options. Either he was a blatant liar who was claiming something that he knew was not true about himself. He was a, a deluded lunatic who had delusions of, of you know, divine grandeur. Or he really was the son of God and he is the rightful Lord of our lives. Those are the only three options left to us because of how Jesus described himself. And we each need to give an answer for it. I hope that those of you who joined us last week have had some time to grapple with it. But today I want to add another question to this. Because really, once you answer that question of who is Jesus to you, it leads to another question that you have to answer. And that is, do you want relationship with him? Do you want to pursue him? And if you choose to pursue him, why? What is your motivation for it? What is it that you hope to get from him? And this is a question that everybody who encountered Jesus had to answer. And quite honestly, as we're going to see today, some of the reasons that they answered, yes, I want to follow him, was not because they wanted him for him. They weren't seeking the giver. They were seeking the gift that he could offer. 
And so today we are going to look at one of those stories. It's found in John chapter 6. Because this, is, this is what we know beyond the shadow of a doubt as you read through the Gospels. There was something about Jesus that was incredibly attractional. People, regardless of whether they really understood who he was, people were drawn to him. Wherever Jesus went, crowds followed. And this is one of those examples or one of those moments where we see the crowds going way out of their way to have a relationship with Jesus. So, John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, sometime after Jesus was in Jerusalem and healed a man on the Sabbath and, and kind of stirred up the ire of the Jewish leaders, Jesus had gone back to his kind of home base up in the Galilean region. We'll, we'll see a map of that in just a second. And Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, or that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, Hey, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. <laughs> Philip answered, uh, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have a single bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, he, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go amongst so many? I mean, that was basically like a, one person's lunch. We got one person who brought lunch, but how far is that really going to go? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they all sat down, and there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus took those five loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to them who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, okay, guys, go gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of those five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, well, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The, the story continues, and next week we'll unpack more of it, but we're going to just stay with this little moment today. And this is a passage that is found in every single one of the four Gospels. Every single one of them felt like this moment in Jesus' ministry was important enough to pause and share about it. And I have to admit that as a, a teacher, every single time I've ever taught on this passage in any of the four Gospels, I've always approached it pretty much in the same direction. Here is a group of guys that have almost nothing. All they got is a little boy's lunch. They straight up stole a kid's lunch, right? All they've got is somebody else's lunch. And Jesus says, hey, will you let me use it? And what little they have is enough to feed everybody with leftovers. And the point we always draw when we teach through this, or at least when I teach through this, is not about how much you have. It's about whether or not you will allow God to use what he has entrusted into your hands because, as we see, he can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine with what you have if you'll simply let him use it. Amen. Great point. Let's pray. We can go home. <laughs> Don't celebrate that, Ethan. That was... Here's the thing, though. 
in, all through this journey through John, we have not been looking for, hey, what's, how, what is our angle at this? We've been looking at what is John's point in sharing this? What is he driving at? Because at the end of the day, we want John, or we, we want to get what he is trying to impress on our hearts. And I got to just say, as exciting as this miracle is, that's not his focus. It seems that John's focus is actually more on how the crowds respond to this outstanding miracle. And so that's what we are going to lean into today. We're going to press into what is John trying to point out. But before we do that, as I've often said, context is key. It is incredibly important for us to answer the who, what, when, and where so that we could answer the why. The why we're going after is why did the crowds follow Jesus, and and what did they do with this sign? How did they interpret it? Before we get there, let's go ahead and um, just give a little bit of context. So I'm going to throw a map up on the screen here, because I want you to understand where this is taking place. So can we put that map up there? And I've got a little bit of fun technology we're going to try out today, so hopefully this will work. Okay, so this is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, let's see if it works here. Do we see something? Oh, no, 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 that's that's not it. Hold on. There we go. Nope. Wait, hold on. This is so embarrassing. Nope. Oh, my goodness. All right. Yes? No, maybe so. It was just a moment. Okay, this isn't worth it. All right, you see the Sea of Galilee. That is in the northern part of Israel. So, so in the so south, in the you south have, have Jerusalem. That was that like Washington, Washington D.C. That's where all the power brokers lived. Up here in the Galilean region, this is more like the, the, the Midwest. This is all farmland, and there's fishermen that live here. This is blue-collar territory. And there's a reason why Jesus often used agricultural analogies or he used fishing analogies in his teaching. Because he was using his audience's language. He's speaking his audience's language in a way they would understand. So up here in Galilee, Jesus had his home base in in a town called Capernaum. I'm going to try one last time. Come on. There we go. All right. No. There it is. Okay, there's Capernaum right there. You see where the little red dot is? And then over to the right, we read that Jesus took off and he went over to the wilderness so we got over here this is this is my best guess as to where the feeding of the 5,000 took place is on that eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee we're not sure exactly where it happened because it just says in the wilderness Jesus goes off and the crowds hear that he's there well I just want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on because again this is a blue-collar territory there are, there's not a lot of educated people around here. These are people who have, have to actually work for a living. They get their hands dirty. They are tilling the soil. They are fishing in the Sea of Galilee. They are, you know, uh, blacksmiths, and they are carpenters. Even Jesus was raised and trained up as a carpenter. Well, there was, however, in this region, somebody who oversaw it. There's a guy named Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, whom we typically read about. Herod the Great was the guy who tried to kill Jesus, but he had passed away, and then Jesus kind of travels back with his family into this region. And Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, decides that he is going to follow in his father's footsteps. He is going to leave his mark on the territory that he has been entrusted to oversee, namely this region. 
And so he decides in AD 26, which is roughly around when this story takes place, that he is going to found a city on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And the name of that city is Tiberias. You can kind of see it down there on the bottom left. We'll try one last time. Nope. Okay. On the bottom left side, on the southeast or southwestern shore, is the city of Tiberias. This is the city that he's founding. All right. Let's take the map off the screen so we're not distracted. Because here's what's going on. He wants to found a city. He called it Tiberius because he wanted to name it after his Roman patron, the person that put him into power, which was Tiberius Caesar. That was the leader at the time when this is taking place. But how do you pay to build a large city like this? Taxes, baby, right? So what do we have? We have a group of Galilean peasants who have experienced a tremendous amount of taxes from their local leader that they didn't vote for so that he can build his own little pet project. And they want nothing to do with, it, with that, right? They're not thrilled about the heavy taxation. They're not thrilled with the leadership that is currently over them. And so when they hear that there is this up-and-coming rabbi who's been doing some pretty miraculous things, he's been, you know, healing people, he has been, probably the biggest one for them is he's been standing up to the leaders, the, the so-called power brokers. They've heard about what Jesus did down there in Jerusalem when he marched into the temple and he cleaned it out and he called out the power brokers to their face and told them they were totally missing the heart of God and then lived to tell about it. And so when they hear that Jesus is in the area, they, they're like, we got to go see him. we got to go talk to him. There's just something about this guy. Well, there's one little detail that is also incredibly important, although it might seem totally inconsequential, and that's found in verse 4. In verse 4, we read that it, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, why is that important? Can we take that off the screen, Mark? Please, because I'm distracted by it. It's so colorful, I keep being, thank you so much, sir. So it's the Passover, or it's getting near the Passover festival. Why is this important? Well, remember what the Passover was an annual celebration of. It was a celebration of the time when God entered into the lives of his people, the Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt, and he raised up a, a kind of strong prophetic leader, a guy named Moses. And through Moses, he went and had him challenge the power brokers of that day, Pharaoh, and the rest of the, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. He had him stand up to Pharaoh. And through a bunch of miracles, which from the Egyptians' perspective would have been plagues, he wrestled them out of Pharaoh's hand and led them through the wilderness to the promised land. And the whole way that they were traveling, God was providing miraculously manna in the morning and meat at night. And right before they entered into the promised land, M Moses, who was about to pass away, turned to his people and he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from amongst your brothers. You must listen to him. And now, right around the Passover time, when they're celebrating this miraculous release from captivity, you've got a guy who miraculously feeds the multitudes bread and meat in the wilderness. And, and they put 
two and two together and they say, this is the guy that Moses was telling us about. We knew there was something about him, but now we know exactly what it is. He's the one sent from God. And that's exactly where they, they land. Look at verse 14. After the people saw the signs that Jesus performed, namely giving him bread and meat miraculously, uh, they, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the prophet that Moses promised. And guess what? They were right. They correctly read the sign and understood what it meant that Jesus was sent from God. So they read the sign correctly, but it's what they do with that that causes this story to kind of, you know, veer off the road. Because in verse 15, we read that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. In other words, Jesus miraculously feeds them. They go, oh my goodness, this is kind of like, this is prophetic. This is what Moses told us about. That's who Jesus is. He's sent by God. God, he, God is providing food through him. He's our guy. He's our king. Let's make him our king by force if necessary. And Jesus wants nothing to do with it. Even though they're excited, they're ready to get the rebellion going, right? They're ready to put his face on flags like, like you know, people have done with Che Guevara's face or, or other things like that. They're ready to rally behind him. This is our guy that's going to help take on the Caesars and the Herods and all of the so-called leaders of the world that don't have a right to lead us. And Jesus is like, no, thank you. Now, we're going to lean into this part of the story because I think this is the part that John is driving at. And it's also the part that, quite honestly, is going to hit us a little bit personally. But before we get to that, let's talk about why Jesus decides to exit stage left. Right? What about this is, is a misuse of Jesus in this sign? The people write interpret the sign to mean that he is from God. That is true. But rather than going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're obviously sent from God. What is it that you want to do so that we can join you in that? They decide that they are simply going to force Jesus into their understanding of what the, he is supposed to do. They have desires, they have goals, and they just try to shoehorn Jesus right into them. This is our answer to the problem that is Roman rule. This is our answer to that heavy-handed leadership of Herod Antipas. We never voted for him. We don't like the guy. We wish he wasn't our so-called king over this region. And we certainly never voted for Tiberius Caesar. We don't want Roman rule any longer. We're over it. And Jesus is our answer. We can get behind him and we can overthrow these so-called power brokers and reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation on the planet. Yes! And Jesus is like, yeah, no thanks. Because that might be your goal, but it's not my goal. That might be what you think I came to do, but it is not what I came to do. And I want no part with it, so I'm out. And he leaves, and he, get, and he encourages his disciples to get on the boat and to get the heck out of Dodge because he wants to preserve his mission from the well-meaning misunderstanding of the people who are trying to misuse the Messiah to address their own expectations. 
they wanted Jesus to be a rival to the Herods and the Caesars. Jesus wasn't interested in that. He was going to overthrow a really different enemy, namely sin and death. They wanted Jesus to be their figurehead, their king, and reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation. But Jesus wasn't interested in simply reestablishing one little nation to be amongst many other nations. He didn't want to just be king of one nation around, you know, surrounded by lots of other nations. He came to establish the kingdom of God, which transcends every nation. He came to be the savior of everyone, not just of the Jews. They were thinking too small. And Jesus recognized that they were trying to shoehorn him into their own little perspective, and he needed to leave in order to preserve the mission that God had given him to do. Is this making sense? Because here is where we go sideways with this, and this is where it starts hurting a little bit. Over this last year in particular, but it's not just new to this last year, it just, it's just come to the surface. I have watched people that love Jesus and are mature in their faith, people that I look up to, people that I love, people that are absolutely sold out for Jesus, who have fallen into the same sort of trap of trying to pigeonhole Jesus into working like we are, we are fighting for the kingdoms of this world. Quite honestly, there's people in my own family and in my church family, who through this last election cycle fought as if the kingdom of God were on the ballot, as if Jesus himself were on the ballot. And I got news for you. He wasn't, and the kingdom of God wasn't. Two imperfect representatives of two imperfect political parties that neither of which have a monopoly on the way of Christ. They were on the ballot. Furthermore, I watched as people I love and respect began to live out what Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy would happen. Can we throw that up there? He said this. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Next slide. They will follow their own desires. And they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and, choose, and chase after myths. People that I love, and even my own, I, 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 I have to speak for myself too, we have each and every one of us in one way or another started surrounding ourselves with echo chambers that simply fed us what we wanted to hear. We, we only listen to those political pundits on the, on the news stations that tell us the kind of stories that we want to hear. Our social media feed, the algorithm learns the kind of stuff that we click on, so it starts feeding us even more. You want to understand how that works? There's an entire documentary on Netflix uh, called The Social Dilemma. I strongly encourage you to watch it because we are each and every one of us unwittingly creating our own echo chamber. Furthermore, we began to grab hold of so-called prophets within the Christian 
you know, community, we started grabbing hold of prophets who would tell us whatever we wanted to hear. Even after the election was done, we still grabbed hold of them and said, listen, they're telling us that this isn't going to go that way or this way. And it's like we gave them so much influence in our lives. We were so convinced one way or the other. And guys, I'm talking about well-meaning people on both sides of the political argument. I'm not talking to just one side. We were all complicit in this. And you add on to that then, all of the, can I say crap in here? Because I want to say crap. All the crap with COVID that we've had to deal with, with the face masks and the social distancing and the whether or not we should be allowed to gather in a building as if, you know, gathering together means whether the church is actually in existence or not. We're the church, the building's not the church, right? We, we, we grapple with that, and we're even still dealing with some of these things with the vaccine and how to deal with that. And each of us are listening to whomever it is that speaks in such a way that we want to hear, and we, we then turn around and with really, really good intent. We use social media to trumpet to our so-called friends, but it's more like going into the supermarket and getting on their announcement PA system and just talking into it and telling everybody, hey, wait, be careful. And we start screaming at people to wake up. Meanwhile, we don't pay any attention to the other side who, who are saying things that con contradict us. We don't listen to them at all, but we expect them to listen to us and not a single person's mind is changed. Welcome to 21st century America. Are we having fun yet? And the question I have to ask us is at what cost? And I know, guys, I know this is an uncomfortable conversation, and I know that I'm tweaking some noses, and I'm sorry, I love you. I need to hear this. We need to hear this. Because we need to count the cost. One part of the cost is what it is doing to our own hearts and minds. I've got a really good friend that lives on my street that is literally this close to having a heart attack. There are moments where I think the guy is going to go under because of how much time he spends worrying about things that are completely and utterly outside of his control. It is wearing him away. He's a different man this year than he was at the beginning of last year. And he's not the only one. Many of us spend so much time consuming so-called news that it is absolutely causing us greater anxiety and depression. It's causing us to run to our drugs of choice that we use to anesthetize ourselves, to, to simply give ourselves a little bit of a break from the constant worry. You think about the cost that it has on our own families. We're worrying so much about things that are out there that are outside of our control and trying to convince people out there that we never really are present with the people here that are in our own sphere of influence. And then, by far, the greatest cost is the Im impact it has had on our witness. Because, guys, we have taken the gospel, we have taken God's word, and rather than focusing on the ways that it is a light to every single person, regardless of what side of the political spectrum they find themselves on, we have turned this into a cudgel to beat people 
into submission. I mean, imagine for just a moment, just hypothetically, you read a news article about somebody that, that physically beat somebody up with a Bible. Would that make you upset? Would that make you feel like, you know, I don't think they get the purpose of God's word. I would. I'd be upset about that. But in a lot of ways, we've done just that. We have stripped the gospel of its spiritual connotations, and instead we have focused Jesus down into becoming our own little poster boy for the resistance. We have used God's word. We, we, we've, we've, stripped, we've taken pieces of God's word, verses, and we've ripped it out of their context. And we have used them as cudgels to beat people into submission, to uh, think the way that we do. And i got to tell you, it hasn't worked at all. It has simply gotten us thumbs up from people who already agree with us. And the people who are on the opposite side are going, you guys are so deluded. And the gulf between us has not gotten smaller, it's gotten wider. Because we have been trying to fight political and social battles the way the world does. And we have cheapened Jesus and we have cheapened his word into a, a, a tool that we can use to fight momentary battles. Trying to fight for the kingdom of America when in fact God has called us to fight for the kingdom of God. To live not as primarily citizens of America, which most of us are, but we are not first and foremost citizens of America. I've told you this before. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are called to reflect the heart of our God into the spheres of influence where he's planted us. And that begins to look different because we cannot fight those battles like the world does. It's not a matter of getting our guy into a position of authority so that he can legislate morality. Jesus didn't even think that that would work. If he did, he probably would have said, I need to be on the throne. I need to depose Herod. I need to, to depose Tiberius Caesar. That's how I'm going to change society. Didn't work. Instead, how did Jesus begin to change society? First and foremost, he modeled it. He modeled the values of the kingdom of God in a world that thought it was backwards. A king who washes his own disciples' feet? Ridiculous. A leader who is willing to die for his followers rather than the other way around? Audacious. Embarrassing. And, and quite honestly, the cross is an embarrassment to those who don't understand the power of the cross those who are perishing. We, if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, we need to follow his example rather than following the example of the world. We need to begin to reflect his values rather than reflecting the values of the world that we see celebrated all around us. And what kind of values are we talking about? Well, I, I made a short list. Jeff helped me kind of Here's some ways that the, the values of the kingdom of God look different. We move towards those who have nothing to offer and can do nothing to benefit us. We don't simply serve those who can turn around and serve us back. We don't champion the causes only of those who are well-connected. We champion the causes of those who have nothing to offer us. 
We stand up for those who are weak, oppressed, and in need. I'm talking about the widows, the orphans, the social outcasts, the people that we have a tendency to want to avoid. Those are the people that we are called to move towards. We use what God has blessed us with to care for the needs of others rather than trying to hoard and protect from others. We use things to love people rather than the other way around, right? We don't use people to get the things that we love. We use those things that we have in order to love hurting people around us. We, we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become outraged. Boy, wouldn't that be a breath of fresh air. We pray for those who persecute us. Even the ones we didn't vote for. Even the ones that are leading in ways that we would not choose if we were the ones making the decisions. We pray for them. And we don't pray God's curses upon them. We pray that God guides and uses them. Heck, he used a freaking donkey. He used a Persian king to advance his purposes. He can use you and me, and he can use them. We strive to live peaceably in the community that God has planted us. For some of us, it's Orange County. So that our witness doesn't get buried under our bad attitude. This is especially true for how we treat those who think differently, vote differently, stand up against us and, 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 and call us small-minded because we supposedly use Jesus as a crutch. We love them and we, we make every effort to be at peace, to live in peace with people who think differently than us. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do when they are wanting to champion different values than we feel need to be played out. And when they're saying the things that we would call, that, that God might call sin, they are calling them worth celebrating. It's hard to do it, but guys, we have got to prayerfully ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment to know how to do that. We have got to stop being so dang disagreeable. We need... Loving Jesus and standing against the brokenness of this world does not give you permission to be a jerk. You can disagree without being disagreeable. Can we just say that? And, and, and while, yes, of course, I mean, while there are certainly the moments when somebody is, you know, if, so, if I came upon somebody who was beating up a child in a dark alley, you better believe I am not going to be mild-mannered in that moment. And there's always exceptions to the rule, and yet, let's just be honest, most of our conflict comes on social media. You don't have to be a jerk. Please stop being a jerk on social media. Please. And if you're going to be outspoken, be outspoken for the kingdom of God. Be outspoken for the gospel. Make the main thing the main thing and stop wasting all of your energy on things that are only going to further the divide and push people away that they stop listening to you because there's people who are going to hell and you're more concerned about whether or not they're wearing a freaking face mask. Do they just say freaking? Oh my goodness, I am having a hard time today. I'm sorry. <sighs> it's the second time I've said it. My goodness. 
Charlie, you need to come up and finish this for me because I am... And don't use frickin' or any of those other things that I just used. Just because your pastor does it doesn't give you permission to do it on social media. May we be known by the way we love rather than by the way we hate. May we be known for the stuff we are for rather than the stuff that we are against. We are far too often known for the stuff we are against. And it breaks the heart of God, I'm sure, because we are so radically misrepresenting the heart of God. When we focus more on yelling at people who aren't even listening than on moving towards the hurting people and loving them. And just as, as maybe a good rule of thumb, if there is something that somebody is doing that really offends you, that really gets you upset, then may I challenge you to go to them one-on-one -on -one in person rather than trying to, ha to hash that out online. Because this is a family... You're going to talk differently to people when you're looking at them face-to-face. -face. You're going to be more kind and gracious, I hope, when they're face-to-face -face than when you can just yell at somebody online. It's way too easy to be a jerk. Consider the ways that you are going about trying to shape the world and reflect the heart of God. We cannot dictate how others live. As much as there's lots of people who think that we can, we cannot dictate how people live. All we can do is choose how we are going to live. All we can do is model for others. And you might say, wait a minute, Eric. If we don't fight for who's in the Oval Office, if we don't fight for our local and our, our state and our federal representatives, and I'm not saying don't vote, I'm simply saying if we don't get it, then the other side is going to get it and they are going to begin to legislate morality. They are going to begin to shape this country in the way they think it should go. And Eric, it's going to become hell on earth. Some of you think that it already is. So let me speak to that for a moment. If you think that this country is going to hell in a handbasket and it breaks your heart, then just consider this for a moment. The more hellish it gets, the more people are going to yearn for heaven. The more the leaders that they place their hope in let them down, the more they will begin looking for a spiritual, heaven-sent king rather than an earthly king. Think about for just, the more persecution we endure as Christ followers, I would suggest the more the kingdom of God will actually break into our reality. Because look at where the kingdom of God, look at where the gospel is making the greatest inroads around this world. It is not in America where it's been comfortable it is in those parts of the world where persecution of the church is at its worst that the gospel is actually making the greatest inroads. Because when there, is a, when there is no fence to sit on, when it is incredibly costly to say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, you are all in and you live all in. And you are willing to die for your faith. I don't know about you, but I think we've been way, way too comfortable in America for far too long. And the irony is, that many of those places where persecution is the worst, they are now beginning to send missionaries to America to try to, to, try to break through the comfort curtain 
that has been drawn across our faces. So yes, it might get more uncomfortable, not less uncomfortable. In fact, Scripture warns us that it will. And that's okay. That doesn't mean we stop praying for our country. It doesn't stop mean that we stop caring about what happens. But it does mean that we need to fix our eyes elsewhere. We cannot look to a political party or to a politician to be our savior because they will never be our savior. And we cannot legislate morality. Jesus didn't choose to do it. We can't make that our play. We need to be the kind of people that say, here I am, Jesus. I'm going to stop trying to get you to fit into my expectations of what the world should look like. I'm going to stop getting you to try to be the savior of my own little battles. And instead, I'm going to say, you are the savior of the entire world. How do you want to use me? That's the mistake that the Galilean people who were following Jesus made is they tried to shoehorn Jesus into their expectations. They tried to get Jesus to be their poster boy. And in so doing, they totally missed the heart of what he was really coming to do. And so he had to exit stage left. May we not make that same mistake. May we be the kind of people who say, here I am. Imperfect, admittedly. I mean, it's not like we, we follow Jesus because we have it all together, right? We follow Jesus because we are the first to say, I am a sinner desperately in need of a Savior. I am not capable and competent to be the captain of my own life, let alone a church, let alone a family. I need Jesus desperately. We don't follow Jesus because we're going to do it all perfectly either. We will stumble. We will misrepresent his heart. We will say things that we regret but may we constantly come back to him and say, here I am, Jesus. Show me what it is that you want to do and use me to advance your kingdom purposes in this world, even if that means it has to get less comfortable, even if it means that there is more persecution that we have to endure, even if it means there are more so-called freedoms that are, are stripped away from us. Guys, we aren't free. Not free to live any way that we want. If we call ourselves Christ followers, then we have died to ourselves and we have been bought by another, namely by Jesus. And so we willingly say, have your way in me. And that means we're not free to say anything that we want. And not, we're not free to live any way that we want. That's what it means to have a Lord. And if we've chosen him to be our Lord, then we need to start living as if he is truly our Lord and not the other way around where he is just our cosmic vending machine who does whatever the heck we want him to do. All right, that's all I have to say about that. So let me pray for us. I'm, I, I know that this is an uncomfortable conversation. I know that in many ways I'm pointing at a very touchy subject, and I know that on some point you might disagree, and I am perfectly okay with that. I love you. I am for us. I am for our family, and I know that we have people who, who approach a political conversation from diametrically opposed directions. We have people who approach conversations that are kind of the social conversations right now from the opposite directions. And we're sitting together under one roof and we are all united by one and only one commonality. Our dependence upon Jesus Christ and our commitment to following him imperfectly as we might do. He is the only thing that we all have in common. And that's beautiful.
So, Father, help us to recognize the ways that we have misunderstood and misused Jesus for our own ends. Father, I confess and we confess that we have pursued power with the hopes that we could legislate morality. We've hoped to mandate how everyone in society should live rather than simply modeling it for ourselves. Help us to live as ambassadors of your kingdom, living out your values in this sin-darkened world. Help us to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Help us to be peacemakers who willingly turn the other cheek. People of joy and contentment in every situation. People who are known for what we are for rather than what we're against. In other words, just help us to represent you well. And Jesus, we declare here and now that you are our Lord. So we invite you to show us what it is that you want to do. And show us how we can help you accomplish that rather than demanding that you meet our expectations our way. God, help us in this. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship together. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Just give me cheese.
is when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a birth that'll bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my It's all about 
so stinking much. Um, and, and just a couple of things. One, I am well aware of the fact that I have probably stepped on a lot of toes and I've probably raised a lot of questions. And I am not going to stand up here and say that I am 100% right. Please don't just take my word for it. Do what the Bereans were affirmed for doing. Go back to Scripture and see if if the heart of what is being articulated is true. Don't think that I or Jeff or anybody have a monopoly on the right answer. Let it be something that spurs you into pursuing Jesus and inviting the Holy Spirit to search you and know you and to show if there's any ways in which you've been looking at this world through a warped lens that has been warped by the world that battles for power. Secondly, I recognize that we make mistakes. One of those mistakes is we forgot to update the questions in the back of your bulletin. So you have last week's questions. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm imperfect. That's why I get to be a pastor here because I'm imperfect. Thankfully, there's Jesus and there's grace. So I will email out to you updated homeward questions. Let me just explain why we have those there. Those are because we recognize that we only have an hour here together on a Sunday morning. And we believe that the most important conversations are going to be taking place as you're driving home, having a meal with, with your family, as you're talking about it around the dinner table, as you're grappling with it throughout the week, as you get into a life group. And if you're not in a life group, you are missing the absolute best part of the week of what we have to offer here. This is not it. Those life groups are it because that's the life on life where we are shaped and changed. So, you don't have the notes that I wrote for you or the questions that I wrote for you to continue to grapple with this. I will email them to you so that you do have them. Thirdly, yes, Jeannie, what's up? Yeah, they'll be updated on your app. Yeah, if you would like, I mean, we have all of these things on the app. We will update that there as well, and you can get the app. It's, it's on the, you know, app store. It's Lighthouse Community Church of Costa Mesa. And then finally... I, I, Jeff, Jeff got on me last week because I totally took a detour at the end and then all of a sudden everybody's thinking more about pacemaker as opposed to like what I talked about last week. I'm not going to do that! Even though I so desperately wanted to read you a passage from Romans 14. But I'm not going to detour. I would simply encourage you, just get into to Romans 14 because it talks about the heart of committed men and women who are pursuing Christ and disagreeing with other people and the ways in which we need to avoid sitting in contempt on people who think differently than we do about debatable issues. And there's a lot of them. And we have perfected the art of being outraged and perfected the art of talking at people rather than talking with people. So I would encourage you, if you want a nice devotion that's going to kick you square in the teeth, Romans 14 is a great place to go, but I'm not going to talk about it right now because otherwise that would be distracting. All right, let me pray for us. And for those of you who, who want to give, you can do so in the white boxes in the back. For those of you who have prayer requests that we can be carrying, write them down on the connection card. You can drop them in the back if you're online and you want to let us know about a way we can be praying for you because we gather a couple of times a week to do so. Go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If you want to give, you can find it through lighthousecommunity.com or from our website. Let me pray for us. Father God, here we are, imperfect representatives of you. I don't know why you choose to use imperfect people like us, but you do. 
So here we are. We offer you everything that we have. Our hopes and our dreams, our faults and our failures, all of it. The stuff that you've entrusted to us, our time, our giftings, our stuff, all of it is yours. Help yourself to it. And most importantly, Father, we offer to you our relationships. You have planted us in our own little unique sphere of influence. Put people around us. Some of them, it's at school or it's at work. It's on online and our social media. It's in our neighbors. It's in our own family members. Help us, Father God, to reflect your heart into this world rather than trying to fight the way the world fights using the weapons of this world and, and, and without trying to minimize you down into a weapon that we can use to get our way. We want you to have your way. And we want to allow you to use us to accomplish your goals. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.